Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. And so I'm here today with Dr. Marcus, say your last name? Bose. Bose, um, to answer some of your questions. So first and foremost, we have already decided today that we're going to go national. We're going to be doing a podcast pretty soon, Hoda, Marcus, and Wendy Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not, but we want to. Say your name again. Marcus Bose. Dr. Bose uh, is an attending pediatric dermatologist at Seattle Children's. And um, when I asked him, really, we're going to have to make sure there's a bleeping function. When I asked him how I could introduce him so that the world understood what he was really most proud of and what he does, he told me that... um, ultimately in his own words, that he's really a devout advocate and is present when practicing medicine and practicing dermatology, that he really gives a shit. And that um, when he comes to work, he's there to kind of solve holistically the challenges that parents and children who suffer from skin problems have um, and can resolve with confidence and I think with great information. So he has enthusiastically joined us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Wendy. He's a super smarty pants. Not only did he get his medical degree, he had a PhD. He grew up in the Midwest, um, raised by immigrant parents from from Switzerland, um, and then went on to do his medical training and his PhD at the University of Chicago, and then trained at my med school alma mater in Philadelphia, both for his residency and fellowship in pediatric dermatology, and has been here in Seattle for a few years. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk today ultimately about a really common problem specifically for parents, really, and their sweet babies, often during 9 to 12 months of age, but all throughout any time a child's being diapered, diaper dermatitis. Um, first and foremost, tell us, like, if someone was going to get referred to see you or someone was about to call the pediatrician because they were just overwhelmed with how bad and yucky their poor baby's skin looked in the diaper area, what are the things they need to know right off the bat? Yeah, so I think that, you know, the first thing to know is that diaper dermatitis, as you mentioned, is common um, and most common at around the 9 to 12 month age. And there's actually lots of causes for diaper dermatitis. And I think that parents and physicians often forget that because typically when they see a red rash um, in the diaper area, people are like, oh, it's just a yeast infection. Let's put a little bit of um, antifungal cream on it and that should take care of it. Um, And that's not often the case. And there's lots of different causes for diaper dermatitis. So it's not a diagnosis necessarily, a specific diagnosis in and of itself as much as it is uh, an appearance um, and just a descriptive term, and there's lots of actual causes for it. And so that can be fungal, yep. um, which is certainly common in babies just because the area is moist and it's dark, so it's a great place that fungus likes to grow. Um, but other common causes of it include ear tint, dermatitis, um, often from things that we're putting on our baby's tush, um, as well as kind of more obscure conditions, um, some of which can actually be um, serious and life-threatening okay. in certain cases. So. Yeah, and through the spectrum of time, are there certain periods in an infant's life and a toddler's life, since many toddlers are still in diapers and pull-ups and what have you, um, where specific infections are more common? So I would say early on, it's mostly just going to be the the diaper dermat or the diaper dermatitis from um, from candida infections. So the yeast that grows on our skin down there, and that's pretty much what it's going to be in the uh, the first year of life. It's rare that we see bacterial infections, although um, certain uh, infections such as strep uh, like to live on the folds uh, in the skin as well. So that's definitely a possibility. Um, but for the most part, when we're thinking infectious causes, it's going to be a yeast infection. And and be, so there's irritants, right? Mm-hmm. And irritants can be really noted right in the beginning of life. Fungal infections and yeast infections can be noted right in the beginning of life. Um, are there certain rashes that you see more often in the toddler years? 
So in the toddler years, once you get to that point, because often then the toddlers might be starting to potty train or they're just in diapers at night. Right. Um, often there we wonder about irritant or allergic contact dermatitis. Yeah. And I think that's something that really goes unrecognized by families and providers as well. So you know, we have moved to a, a lifestyle where we like things out of convenience. And so we like to have those wet wipes that are present. Yeah. And the reason that they can stay in the package for so long and not develop mold is because there are preservatives that are in them. And so these preservatives, we can actually develop an allergic contact dermatitis to. Yeah. And there's one called MCMI that is on the rise in children. And so when we just reach for baby wipes for everything and we use that to... Um, to clean our children, whether it's their face or their bottom, right. um, you can sometimes develop an allergy to that. And often we don't recognize that um, despite our best efforts, we're actually causing the rash that the child is presenting with. Yeah. Well, you sent me the creepy EP article with some of the photos, right, even of a child around their mouth, that parents continue to keep cleaning a child's mouth with this um, compound included in it. Do you think it's going to be one of those like BPA-free type chemicals? I mean, will the research unfold so that the large manufacturers of wipes get rid of it? Yeah. So I think that's a good question. So in Europe, they have already taken... Um, steps forward for lots of different things that are allergic contactants, including certain preservatives, yep. that they need to be phased out of production yep. of um, certain products. And in the United States, there's less of a push for that right now. Um, and so, you know, I think it behooves us as physicians to, to be aware um, and to let our families know, too, um, that these things can be problematic. And will parents find the MC, uh, MCI, right? MC or MCMI. MC, mm -hmm. MCMI. Will they find that on the ingredient list? Is yeah. it always Yeah, so, <laughs> so it should be on the ingredients list. The, okay. the problem with it is that, you know, lots of these things, so we look for like formaldehyde or quaternium or other products. This yeah. one, the MCMI stands for methylchloroithiazolinone or methylisothiazolinone. So the, um, thank goodness you're here. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they're, <laughs> they're not saying it. They're, they're yeah. a mouthful. And I think that um, it makes it hard. You know, I can say MCMI and that's something that a parent will remember. But then when they're like looking at the back, it's just, you know, it's, it it's gobbledygook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it says yeah. methylchloroithiazolinone. So it's the yeah. whole long name. And so sometimes Sometimes I think it's hard for parents to, to be able to identify it. So it takes a lot of... We will put this in the blog, okay. in, the, in the podcast description, just so you can take a peek at it. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so over time, theoretically, maybe it will be it will potentially be removed. Yes. Do you think that most baby wipes have it in them? Yeah, the majority of them do have at least some sort of preservative, whether it's MCMI or some others. Yeah, because the preservative makes sense, again, exactly. from a safety standpoint, yes. right? Um, we, we deal with that in the vaccine space of people being worried about preservatives often when they don't need to be. But in this case, some children will be reactive to that. Can I go through just a couple kind of myth-busty type yeah, things? Yeah, please. So, um, I was looking at the American Academy, of Pedi or American Academy of Dermatology's handout really on diaper dermatitis, and they talk about cloth versus uh, disposable diapers. Yes. Tell us, I mean, are are cloth diapers more dangerous? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that they're more dangerous, but when you think of cloth diapers, they are more prone to um, to inducing uh, diaper dermatitis. And yep. the reason for that is that they're not super absorbent. And right. so when a child pees or poops, um, they're sitting in it for a while. And when you just think about all the the caustic substances that our body is trying to get rid of and a child's skin is sitting in that, yeah, it's going to lead to diaper dermatitis. So from a standpoint of um, reducing diaper dermatitis, we do like that um, the new disposable diapers are super absorbent. And so anything that the um, that the child, you know, pees or poops into the diaper gets relatively absorbed. And so they're not sitting in this moist environment that leads to that friction, that irritation, and then the, the dermatitis from that. So a strategy a parent could employ if they really wanted to use cloth is use cloth until there's a diaper dermatitis. In that case, get out of them as much as you can and use a disposable one yeah. to be diapered. Or, you know, just be really attentive to um, when the child is, um, you know, has, has soiled the diaper and change it frequently. Okay. So your kid develops a diaper dermatitis. Your kid could be seven days old. Your kid could be seven months or 17 months. Um, 
what is the very first thing that they should do? So, you know, honestly, the thing is, and this is hard. It's easy for me because this is what I do every day. But looking at the location is really key. So mm-hmm. these diaper dermatitis, it can be overwhelming because you look at the, the child's bottom and just like everything is red and scaly and sometimes it's itchy and I'm not really sure what to do about it. But the location matters. And so when we're talking about a candida diaper dermatitis, it's usually in the skin folds. Mm-hmm. And often you're going to see little pus bumps that we call satellite lesions that are around there. So that's a good indicator for it. When you're looking at... Because uh, it's that wet, moist place, right? So when you're looking at a diaper rash, if it's in the places where the diaper touches the skin, it's probably from what's on the skin and, or in exactly. the diaper. When it's exactly. in the little folds that are hidden from the diaper, it's probably those little scary yeast. You got it. Hiding out there. Yeah. So location's number one. Yes. So that's the first thing is kind of figuring out, do I need to call the pediatrician, right, for help with if we think it's yeast? Yes. Um, what's the next thing that they do? So I think the next thing, you know, I, I think that it's not unreasonable for, um, for parents to try and take care of it themselves. Yeah. Um, when there's an active dermatitis, you know, over-the-counter, um, steroid preparations like hydrocortisone 1% are safe to use. In general, our motto in dermatology is you can use it once or twice a day for up to two weeks to an area, and you don't really have to worry about side effects, and especially the over-the-counter side effects. Um, you know, people worry a lot about the side effects of steroids, and it sounds very scary. They're very safe to use, and the the low potency of this means that the likelihood of systemic absorption is next to nothing, and even local um, you know, effects, which would be skin thinning, discoloration, stretch marks, things like that. It's really unheard of if you li- use it for just a limited amount of time. Yeah, but but so that's in a treatment standpoint. Mm-hmm. But from a prevention standpoint, the next thing we want to do is yes. barrier so cream, barriers. Right? So barriers, yes. T- talk to us about what barrier creams mean and why we call them that and yeah. what are the ingredients that are most effective and important. So from a barrier standpoint, really what we just want to do is protect the skin that's down there. And so the, the key is that you want to pick something that is thick and that is going to stay on. So oftentimes I'll hear from families and they're like, you know, like I put a little bit of lotion on there and the lotion is just not going to cut it because when when you think about lotion when we're putting it on our skin, you put it on and it basically, you know, goes away. Yeah, it goes away. It's quote unquote disappears. Quote unquote. It's absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's not serving as like a good functional barrier. And again, right. what we're trying to do is not super moisturize the skin. That might be a byproduct of it. But what we're doing is trying to just have a physical barrier there that prevents the urine, that prevents the stool from touching the skin and irritating it. And so using a thick barrier cream is great. So the things that we like most commonly are the zinc oxide preparations, so the things like desitin, um, Boudreaux's butt paste. I'm not I'm, I'm not, not promoting products. Yes, we're not promoting anything. Please, but, we're not promoting products. <laughs> but these yeah. are just ones that people, you know, they yeah. go to the store and like, is this one good? So, well, and, and there's a distinction, right? Desitin, like pomades will say like purple or blue, right? Because yeah. one has a higher zinc content than the other. Yes. And we all know it because it's harder to get one of them off. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's the, the, harder, the harder it is to get off, the more barrier is there. Exactly. Right? And, and so that's the thing. You're looking for something that's kind of tacky and thick and hard yeah. to get off. Now, there's sort of like a, there's a, um, the sort of counterpoint to that is, it's really great when it's on. It's also really hard to get off then, right? Yeah. And so so that's the key, too, is that you don't want to be so overzealous and then be really sort of like rubbing and abrading the baby's skin, trying yeah. to get it off, because then you might be causing it as well. So right. what's often recommended is take a little mineral oil, put it on a cotton ball, kind of wipe that on, and that will help. Or let your child soak um, soak their bottom in a tub um, at the end of the day to just kind of let some of that thick um, cream kind of come off and then gently wipe them. I think the other thing that's important is that when we're talking about 
hyperdermatized. So I like to use the analogy of a cupcake. Okay, so you should think of your if you're trying to protect your baby's bottom, think of it like icing a cupcake. And so you want to take this desitin, you want to take whatever the barrier is and layer it on thick. Mm-hmm. And then if the child stools and soils the the area afterwards, you don't need to take the entire barrier off. You don't need to get down to the skin and rub it um, and irritate it more. Just kind of take that thin top layer off and then reapply some more. And that way, of course, you're getting rid of the stool. You're getting rid of the things that we don't want our baby to be near sitting in um, from both the diaper dermatized and sanitary reasons. And then you're just putting more on so there's another barrier. And then at the end of the day, do a more thorough just kind of like letting the, taking the barrier off and letting the skin kind of breathe a little bit. Yeah, and get out of the diaper at that point. Exactly. I mean, there's, you know, sometimes when it's so bad, I mean, when we see these kids in clinic, right, the skin is usually really broken down to the point sometimes it's really raw. I mean, it makes you queasy as a parent when this happens. And of course, there are different conditions that'll set kids up, like infections, right? So when a child has a diarrheal illness, Mm -hmm. right, is stooling and or, you know, creating wet diapers in a way that seems almost faster than you can get to them, sometimes you can't avoid it with the prevention standpoint. Yeah. But that's where a barrier cream works. Do Do you think that most children need a barrier cream with a disposable diaper when they're young, like newborns, one and two month olds without diaper dermatitis? Or do you think some kids get away? I mean, are there differences in babies and their skin? Yeah, I mean, everyone is different. So I think that that's first and foremost um, correct because everyone's skin is a little bit different. Some are more prone to getting irritated. And I think that as a rule, you know, like it'd be great if we can always put something on. And something like Vaseline or people like A&D ointment, something that's a little bit more ointment-y and a little slick, that's a little bit easier to put on and take off. Um, Hospitals typically send people home with that too, right? I mean, it's interesting that that in the newborn nurseries and hospital settings is usually A&D. Yeah. Or Vaseline or petroleum like that, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, but you know, that being said, I'm a parent too, and I have twins, and I know what it was like. I mean, you're sitting there, it's the middle of the night, you're just like, oh my gosh, like, how am I, I you can't even find the, the beer cream. You know what? Yeah. It's okay. So, this is. this is what I love about being on this podcast with you, because I think it's important that every, all the listeners hear that it's okay to not be perfect, right? I will give you instructions when you come to my clinic, like, do this. Uh-huh. And I think it's hard sometimes. We're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't do everything exactly the way the doctor told you. It's okay. Uh-huh. Life is hard. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you can't get it on, fine. Uh-huh. If you have an active dermatitis, let's be a little bit more sort of forward thinking about it yeah. and and, um, and proactive. But Well, I ask you that too, because I, I do think in practice, there are just some kids who kind of need a barrier cream all the time yeah. and some kids who don't. And some parents just want to put a barrier cream on. It's not necessarily risky. Some kids don't need it per se, but some kids really do. Yeah. And I, I think your cupcake analogy is so awesome in the sense that you probably cause more damage trying to get it off if mm-hmm. you're trying to clear out those really tacky, sticky barrier creams. And you don't need to. You just need to get the poop pee layer off yeah. and then reapply that kind of thick frosting lever layer again as well. Exactly. What do you think about the hair dryer approach? So when these kids come in and their guts really broken down and we're in this treatment, we say, get out of the diaper as much as you can. Let your kid run around naked. And even after you've done a change, you know, using a kind of cool dryer to kind of dry the skin. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I never did it. I just, yeah. I have always I can't say that say I'm it. like so pro for that. Just yeah. I think that it's one more way that you're kind of like irritating. So definitely not yeah. with like high, with heat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A little yeah. bit of like cool. I think it's fine. And generally, just say kind of if you can let the baby just be out of the diaper and kind of like air out as much as possible, but yeah. kind of just letting it naturally happen instead of, you know, yep. blowing wind. That's another source of kind of friction and irritation to the skin. So I would not be in favor of it, but I don't think it's the end of the world either. When your kid has a diaper dermatitis, if it's from yeast when they're young or um, at other times or just from contact, the number one thing they should know about when it's going to heal. Like, how long is it going to take? Because you get this pit in your stomach. You feel really awful about the skin breakdown. What's the turnaround time when the skin heals itself? Yeah. So do you mean sort of spontaneously or if you're doing things to treat it? Well, I mean to say, like, 
I think this happens, right? Yeah. I, I just, you know, as the statistics say, most kids, right, and most babies will have this. And it's it's it seems to me we put these barrier creams on and we give it time because the skin does this beautiful job repairing itself. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And how long does it take the skin to repair? Yeah, so I like, think that, you know, what I would say is if it's not better, and it might not have to be completely 100% better, but within two weeks, if you're being active with diaper creams or if you have any you know, prescription medications that your doctor gave you, things should be better within that time. Yeah. And I think that's the real, the key thing is that you know we talk about these most common causes of diaper dermatitis, and the majority of patients, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. But it's important to know that if things are not responding the way that we expect it to, then someone needs to take a look and reconsider if it could be another diagnosis instead. And quickly, when it comes to kind of fungal yeast stuff, you know, are there resistance patterns that we're seeing with Canada and do the typical, does a nice statin approach work or, you know, what are you seeing in clinic? Yeah. So in clinic, I have not seen any sort of resistance to, um, to either azoles like ketoconazole, clotrimazole. That's the over the counter stuff that's often yeah. sold as, um, yeast infection or fungal or, uh, athlete's foot preparations yep. and, or nystatin. So yep. I've not seen anything like that. Okay. So families should feel that the prescriptions that they're given should be effective if that's the cause. Yes. Yeah. I've seen some things online that say the opposite. Okay. Very quickly. Yes. Your kid gets diaper dermatitis that's in a statin. Stepwise fashion, we got to look at number one location. Mm -hmm. We have to use an emollient or a barrier cream to kind of protect it. Mm -hmm. We treat it like a cupcake. Mm -hmm. We can keep that butt could look white all day, mm -hmm. right? And then you're just kind of clearing off the top layer. Mm -hmm. You go in if it's not getting better in a couple of days, yes. right? And or um, it, it should Maybe be like self-repairing. Yeah, week or two. Um, and we use prescriptions for fungal or yeast infections if they occur. Mm -hmm. um, what? Other things should parents know of, like, when do they need to seek care? What's a red flag? Like, wh when do they really need to go in if something's not working or something's atypical or unusual? Yeah, so I think that the, the red flags are, again, so non-responsive to appropriate treatment. And, you know, we have to give it time. So I'd say if it's still going on, it's not getting better with sort of first-step therapies after, you know, two to four weeks, then they should see, you know, either yep. a pediatrician or a pediatric dermatologist. Um Beyond that, the things that would be really unusual is if you notice that there's kind of like bleeding, um, if there's bumps, I think it's also important to look and see is the rash in other places. And so sometimes there can be benign things. So psoriasis is a super common uh, dermatologic condition that lots of adults have. And we think about on the elbows and the knees. But in babies, it often shows up in the diaper areas. We call this diaper psoriasis or napkin psoriasis. Yeah. Um, and there might be other skin clues elsewhere on the body that can point us in that direction. Um, there's other more concerning sort of malignancies that can present in the diaper area. And again, and these are very rare, so I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want anyone listening um, to this podcast, you know, like going off the deep but end, wondering. It feels funny to a parent going in makes a lot of sense. Totally, and yeah. and I think too that it's so important for parents to just kind of listen to their gut instinct, and you know, if things are not getting better, you know, bleeding and diaper rashes are usually not that bad where they get to the point of bleeding, and sometimes yeah. they can be. They we can, have yeah. these, you know, like erosive diaper dermatitis, but if you see bumps, crusting. Scabbing, uh, things like that. Blisters. Definitely, you want someone else to to take a look at it because that's definitely a much more severe presentation. So. And then one other thing that you said too, and I, I want to remind families of, of that: not scrubbing the skin to clear things out. So the barrier cream, you don't have to do it, but dabbing. Right, yes. dabbing is less traumatic to the skin than wiping. Yes, right in that hard way. Yeah, and when it comes to wipes too, you know, if there is concern that there might be a uh, like an allergic contact dermatitis, one of these preservatives, just taking sort of a, a soft wet washcloth and just yep. you know just some water. That, you know, gently patting the area and getting the, um, you know, either the, the stool or yeah. the barrier cream off, that's going to be the safest way to do things. And you recommended 1% over-the-counter hydrocortisone for those contact dermatitides. Yes. <laughs> you got it. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, when you use that, you're using it twice a day in mm -hmm. general or with each diaper change or what have you for about, you know, 7 to 10 days, yes. right? And that's a safe thing to do. It's just a reminder not to be scared of those kind of steroids being absorbed yes. in any way, shape, or form. Um 
So, and I just think it's important, you know, if I can put this plug in now, that not all steroids are the same. So, yeah. you know, when we talk about them, we think about them as sort of this like one single entity, but there's different strengths, there's different classes, they get used in different ways, and also they're different from when people take oral steroids. So, yep. you know, the over-the-counter is the weakest preparation that we have. And yep. so from that standpoint, the use of it is totally indicated. Stronger ones we don't like to use in the um, in the diaper area, but those are things that we prescription only. Yep. Um, so in general, um, someone at home is probably not going to get something like that unless yeah. their doctor gives That's it to right. them. Yeah. And again, not to be scaredy catty about these wipes and this allergic condition. This is pretty rare with the MCMI. Yes. Um, but to know that they're probably more and more coming to market that have less and less ingredients. So like checking a food label, you can check the wipe label if your kid seems to be really irritated from it. I think we all do that naturally yeah. too. But looking at that label might be an important step as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks um, for having we'll me. We'll throw this on the blog, too. We'll put some <laughs> images up and some reminders. Uh, and the reality is parenting, especially with diaper dermatitis, is a high-stakes job. But the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 